Miss Marie Corelli by David Christie Murray. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In an article intended for this series and set under this lady's name, an article now suppressed and therefore to be rewritten, I fell into an error which appears to have been shared by several of the critics who dealt with what was then the latest of her books, The Sorrows of Satan. I assumed Miss Corelli to have drawn her own portrait, as she sees things, in the character of Mavis Clare. This belief has been expressed, so it turns out, by other people, and I learn that Miss Corelli has authoritatively denied it. She objects very strongly, so says an inspired defender, to a notion which was started by one of the most distinguished of her interviewers, and absolutely denies the assertion that she described herself as Mavis Clare in The Sorrows of Satan. Miss Corelli, of course, knows the truth about this matter, and nobody else can possibly know it, but it is at least permissible to examine the evidence which led many separate people to the same false conclusion. Mavis Clare and Miss Corelli are in the same initials, and until the fact that this was a mere fortuitous chance was made clear by Miss Corelli herself, it seemed natural to suppose that an identity was coyly hinted at. Mavis Clare is a novelist, and so is Miss Corelli. Mavis Clare is mignon and fair, is pretty, and knows how to dress besides, is a most independent creature too, quite indifferent to opinions. All these things, as we learn from many sources, are true of Miss Corelli also. It is said of Miss Corelli herself that dauntless courage, a clear head, and a tremendous power of working hard without hurting herself have helped her to make a successful use of her great gift. She is not afraid of anything. She insists on herself and is unique. It is to be noted that all this is said by Miss Corelli of Mavis Clare. Miss Corelli is at war with the reviewers. So is Mavis Clare. Miss Corelli's books circulate by the thousand. So do Mavis Clare's. Mavis Clare is utterly indifferent to outside opinion. So is Miss Corelli. In point of fact, if anybody thought Miss Corelli a woman of astonishing genius, and wrote an honest account of her, he would describe her precisely as Miss Corelli has described Mavis Clare. There is, in fact, a point up to which Mavis Clare and Miss Corelli are not to be separated. There are a score of things in any description of the one which are indubitably true of the other. But when Miss Corelli writes of Mavis Clare in such terms as are now to be quoted, we begin to see that she is and must be indignant at the supposition that she is still writing of herself. She is too popular to need reviews. Besides, a large number of the critics the log-rollers, especially, are mad against her for her success, and the public know it. Clearness of thought, brilliancy of style, beauty of diction, all these are hers, united to consummate ease of expression and artistic skill. The potent, resistless, unpurchasable quality of genius. She wrote what she had to say with a gracious charm, freedom, and innate consciousness of strength. She won fame without the aid of money and was crowned so brightly and visibly before the world that she was beyond criticism. 
but is it not just within the bounds of possibility that miss corelli began with some idea of depicting herself and discarding that idea took too little care to obliterate resemblances even here she trenches too closely upon the truth to escape the calumnious supposition that she is writing of herself she is too popular to need reviews she is at war with the critics and she has induced a very large portion of the public to believe that a number of the critics the log rollers especially are mad against her for her success were i the present writer to invent a fictional character to give him for the initials of his name the letters d c n to describe him as awkward and burly with an untidy head of grey hair to make him a novelist a bohemian and a wanderer and then to paint him as a man of genius and an astonishing fine fellow i should expect to be told that i had been guilty of a grave insolence if i could honestly say that the resemblances had never struck me and that the egregious vanity of the picture was a wholly imaginary thing i should of course desire to be believed and i should of course deserve to be believed but i should encounter doubt and i should not be disposed to wonder at it if i were annoyed with anybody i should be annoyed with myself for having given such a handle to the world's ill nature except in miss corelli's disclaimer one is still forced to the conclusion that she has fallen into a serious indiscretion in the murder of delicia we are made acquainted with another lady writer who enjoys all the popularity of miss corelli and of mavis clare who has the genius and the eyes and the stature and the hair of both as a writer she stood quite apart from the rank and file of modern fictionists the public responded to her voice and clamoured for her work and as a natural result of all this all ambitious and aspiring publishers were her very humble suppliants whatsoever munificent and glittering terms are dreamed of by authors in their wildest conceptions of a literary eldorado were hers to command and yet she was neither vain nor greedy one thanks god piously that yet she was neither vain nor greedy but one can't keep the mouth from watering ah those wildest conceptions of a literary eldorado delicia gets eight thousand pounds for a book may it be delicately hinted that this sum is only approached in the receipts of one living lady writer and that the lady writer's name is blank wild horses shall not drag this pen further miss corelli complains in a preface to this recent work that every little halfpenny ragamuffin of the press that can get a newspaper corner in which to hide himself for the convenience of throwing stones pelts every brilliant woman with the word unsexed honestly i don't remember the reproach being held at mrs browning or george eliot or mrs cowden clark or charlotte bronte or maria edgeworth or mrs hemans miss corelli tells us that the woman who is well-nigh stripped to man's gaze every night and who drinks too much wine and brandy is not subjected to this reproach whilst if another woman prefers to keep her woman's modesty and execute some great work of art which shall be as good or even better than anything man can accomplish she will be dubbed unsexed instantly where has miss corelli found the society of which these amazing things are true does anybody else know it and where are the better works of art from woman's hand than man can accomplish 
aurora lee and the portuguese sonnets are at the top of feminine achievement and shakespeare is not dethroned and here is a pearl of common sense to put it bluntly and plainly a great majority of the men of the present day want women to keep them this is miss corelli in her own person in her preface and to put it bluntly and plainly the statement is not true or approximately true or within shouting distance of the truth and what of the persons of high distinction who always find something curiously degrading in paying their tradesmen are they commoner than persons of high distinction who meet their bills are they as common miss corelli sweeps the board she is angry because some people will not take her seriously but whilst her pages are charged with this kind of matter she cannot fairly blame anybody but herself she burns to be a social reformer it would be unjust to deny her ardour but when she tells the tale of a penniless nobleman who lives on his wife's money and breaks her heart and assures us that there are thousands of such cases every day she undoes her own sermon by one rampant phrase of nonsense there are such men more's the pity and they are the social satirist's honest gain there have been foolish people who thought that women unsex themselves by doing artistic work but they died many years ago for the most part there are men who want to marry rich women and live lazy lives but they are not a great majority miss corelli knows these things of course for they are patent to the world but she allows zeal to run away with judgment the rules for satire are the rules for irish stew you mustn't empty the pepper caster and the pot should be kept at a gentle bubble only there is reason in the profitable denunciation of a wicked world as well as in the roasting of eggs but miss corelli has hit the public hard and it is the self-imposed task of the present writer to find out as far as in him lies why and how she has done this miss corelli's force is hysteric but it is sometimes very real a self-approving hysteria can do fine things under given conditions it has the motive power in some work which the world has rightly accepted as great in the execution of certain forms of emotional art it is a positive essential much genuine poetry has been produced under its influence it is a sort of spiritual wind which rushing through the harp-strings of the soul may make an extraordinary music but the sounds produced depend not upon the impulse conveyed to the instrument but on the quality and condition of the instrument itself without the impulse a large and various mind may lie quiescent with the impulse a small and disordered spirit may make a very considerable sound in the very loftiest flights of genius we discern a sort of glorious dementia all readers have found it in the last splendid verse of adonais it proclaims itself in keats in the wild naivete of the inquiry muse of my native land am i inspired the faculty of the very greatest among the great lies in the existence of this inrush of emotion in strict subordination to the intellectual powers to be without it precludes greatness to be wholly subject to its influence is to be insane miss corelli experiences the inrush of emotion in great force but unfortunately for her work and for herself the sense of power which it inspires is not coordinate with the strength of intellect which is essential to its control miss corelli has ventured freely into the domain of spiritual things and has dealt with more daring than knowledge with esoteric mysteries the great reading public knows little of these matters because as a rule 
they have been expressed by writers whose works are too abstruse to catch the popular ear it is only when they are handled by writers of imaginative fiction that they become popularly known at all in the sorrows of satan miss corelli has earned a reputation for originality by advancing a theory which is older than many of the hills it has been for ages a rooted religious belief but it is wholly in conflict with the theological ideas which are taught in our churches and chapels and has therefore a startling air of strangeness to the average church and chapel goer the theory is thus expressed in mr c g harrison's lectures on the transcendental universe it is generally supposed that satan is the enemy of spirituality in man that he delights in his degradation and views with diabolical satisfaction the development of his lower nature and all its evil consequences the wide and almost universal prevalence of this medieval superstition only makes it all the more necessary to protect against it as a grotesque error it would probably be much nearer the truth to say that the degradation and suffering of mankind for which the adversary of god is responsible so far from affording him any satisfaction afflict him with a sense of failure and deepen his despair of ultimate victory this is of course the root idea of the sorrows of satan and if the theme had been handled with reserve and dignity a very noble book indeed might without doubt have been built upon it but miss corelli has not had the power to confine herself within the limits of the severe and lofty conception of the old theosophists her sorrowful satan grows first melodramatic and then absurd the notion that the great sad adversary of almighty goodness is settled in a modern london hotel with a private cook of his own and a privately engaged bath of his own carries the reader away from the original conception to the burlesque vulgar and flagrant of the mystery plays of the middle ages and the devotion of supernatural power to the preparations for a suburban garden party is purely ludicrous miss corelli has seized the theosophic thought which in itself is far nobler and more poetic than the miltonic but she has not been strong enough to use it she has fallen under the weight of her chosen theme and the result is that her demoniac hero is at one time presented as a majestic and suffering spirit and at another as a mere merry andrew the curious and instructive part of all this is that if miss corelli had been gifted with any power of self-criticism her ardour would have been damped and any work she might have done would have suffered proportionately her work has hit the public hard and it has done so because of its kind her inspiration has been genuine the wind does not blow through the strings of a well-ordered instrument but it blows and however grotesque the sound produced may sometimes be it is of a sort which is not to be produced by any mere mechanism of the mind to the critical ear the tunes played in wormwood and the sorrows of satan are not and cannot be agreeable the writer to speak in plain english and without the obscurity of symbols is the owner of genius on the emotional side and is not the owner of genius or anything approaching to it even from afar on the intellectual side the result of this disproportion between impulse and power is to the critical mind disastrous but it does not so make itself felt with the ordinary reader it is rather an unusual thing with him to come into contact with a real force in books he has not read or thought enough to know that the ideas offered to him with such transcendental pomp are old and commonplace 
it is enough for him to feel that the writer understands herself to be a personage she succeeds in imposing herself upon the public because she has first been convinced of her own authority her inward conviction of the authority of her own message and her own power to deliver it is the one qualification which makes her different from the mob of writing ladies even when she deals with purely social themes the same air of overwhelming earnestness sits upon her brow in a little trifle published in the november of eighteen ninety six and entitled jane she goes to work with a quite prophetic ardour to tell a story almost identical with that related in a scrap of thackeray's cox's diary the reader may find the tale in the second chapter of that brief work where it is headed first route thackeray tells his version of it with a sense of fun and humour miss corelli tells hers with the voice and manner of a boanerges nothing is to be done without the divine afflatus and plenty of it the temperamental difference between the satirist and the scold is well illustrated by a large handling and a little handling of the same theme the point upon which it seems worth while to insist is this that the mass of the reading public is always ready to submit itself to the influence of sincerity it does not seem much to matter what inner characteristics of sincerity may have in the case now under analysis the quality seems to resolve itself into pure self-confidence miss corelli's method of capturing the public mind is not a trick which anybody else might copy it is the result of a real though perilous gift of nature a gift which she possesses in something of a superlative degree nobody could pretend to such a gift and succeed by virtue of the pretense miss corelli is at least quite serious in the belief that she is a woman of genius she is only very faintly touched with doubt when she thinks that the people who are laughing at her are writhing with envy she speaks therefore with precisely that air of authority to which she would have a right if her ideas with regard to her own mental power were based on solid fact so far we arrive at little more than the long-established truth that the unthinking portion of the public is not only longing for a moral guide but is ready to accept anybody who is conscious of authority it would be well if we could leave miss corelli here but something remains to be said which is not altogether pleasant to say in the sorrows of satan many pages are devoted to the bitter and merited abuse of certain female writers who deal coarsely with the sexual problem but miss corelli appears to think that she may be as frankly disagreeable as she pleases so long as she is conscious of a moral purpose whatever she may feel and whatever estimable purposes may guide her she has published many things which run side by side with her denunciation of her sister writers and are as offensive as anything to be found in the work of any living woman take as a solitary example the following passage i soon found that lucio did not intend to marry and i concluded that he preferred to be the lover of many women instead of the husband of one i did not love him any the less for this i only resolved that i would at least be one of those who were happy enough to share his passion i married the man tempest feeling that like many women i knew i should when safely wedded have greater liberty of action i was aware that most modern men prefer an amour with a married woman to any other kind of liaison and i thought lucia would have readily yielded to the plan i had preconceived i do not know of any passage in any of the works so savagely assaulted by miss corelli which goes beyond this and i think it the more and not the less objectionable 
because the lady who wrote it can see so very plainly how sinful her offence is when it is committed by other people. End of Miss Marie Corelli by David Christie Merlin.